I look around the room and I see loads of familiar faces, but at the same time, I see quite a number of faces that I'm not so familiar with. Um, my laptop setup is giving a bit of trouble. I hope it will work this morning or this afternoon even, as I keep reminding myself that it's afternoon and not morning. <coughs> we are in the, um, in the process of doing a Bible overview. A Bible overview. And we took two weeks, that is last week and the week before, just to have a little break. Um, up until now, we've done 10 sessions in the Bible overview. Today's week 11, but again with a break last week. And it's funny because last week, as Pastor E mentioned, was Family Day. The week before that, Pastor E preached a message, and <clears throat> it could have seemed like it was a part of the Bible overview because it was kind of like Old Testament, but it wasn't. So it was a great message, but for, for, for the purpose of the overview, I want you to forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great message. If you haven't heard it, you should really listen to it. Um, and, and I think I'll probably come back to it at some point. <clears throat> because the book that he preached on is much further down the road as to where we are in our Bible overviews, really, my, my point. <clears throat> and so, with regards to this overview, there's two really important things we want you to take away. The first one is that the Bible is one story, it's one narrative. Right from beginning to end, that's from Genesis. It doesn't stop at Malachi, but it continues right through to Matthew to the end of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. It's one, not two stories. That's the first thing. The second thing we want you to, to take away is that the, the whole Bible has one fundamental central character, and his name is Jesus. And you'd be like, well, wait a minute, Jesus appears in the New Testament. I know. But did you know that Jesus actually appears in the Old Testament? And um, that's one of the things we've been tracing, or two of the things I should say we've been tracing as we've been going through our Bible overview. <clears throat> now, the last week that we we ooh, the last week that we looked at the overview, we were looking at the kings. We've progressed from that point now and have come to the prophets. And I'm hoping that someone's going to help me, with, at least with that screen. Or you guys can look at this one possibly, or maybe we might have to just turn around that one so everyone can look at that. Now, better that everyone looks at this one, right? Now this one's gone. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> today we're looking at Hosea. Uh, and I really would appreciate if I could get it back because there's quite a few slides that are going to help me later for you to look at. So <clears throat> today we're looking at Hosea. And Hosea is, if you like, the beginning of four weeks of looking at the prophets. Like I said, we just come out of the kings. We're now moving into a time of the prophets. And... <clears throat> Um, as we get ready to look at Hosea, let me ask you a question, right? And it's quite an important one. And the question is, have you ever heard the statement, and maybe I won't, oh, maybe I can put it up. Have you ever heard the statement, love is blind, marriage is the great eye-opener? <laughs> let me just let that sink in, right? Oh, here we go. L oh, no, here we go. There, there it goes. Love is blind, marriage is an eye-opener. Now, for those, of for those of you that are not married, you're like, huh, what does that mean? And when you're married, you're like, I know exactly what that means. You know what I mean? And it's funny because it's all in the definition of the word love. It's all, it, how you define love 
really is going to help you to understand what this really, really means. You see, because we have this in the 21st century. We have this romantic notion of love. And when the world talks about love, it's not necessarily the type of love that the Bible talks about. When the world talks about love, the world's love is a very self-centered love. It's a very self-satisfying love. It's a very selfish love. And it's, a, it's really a desire to see one's own desires met. And when you, when you walk into marriage, wanting your needs to be met, how many of you know that's a recipe for disaster? You know what I mean? See, why do people break up often? Often it's because one person's needs are not being met. You're not meeting my need, so hey, I have to go somewhere else to go get my needs met. Why? Because love is all about me. You see that? When ultimately marriage is supposed to be my commitment to meeting the other person's needs. And what marriage does is marriage shows us that. Shows me that, you know what, Robert, you're not in this for the other person. You're in this for you. Do you know anyone who is looking for love? I mean, it's right there in that, in that three-word statement. They're looking for love. But they're looking, really, for someone to love them. They're not really looking to love. So now, I know you say, but no, I am, if you're in that place. <laughs> you know what I mean? But... I think you're hearing what I'm saying. See, I'm looking for love. You can hear the self-centeredness in that. Someone said, the person most ready for marriage is the person that needs it least. I'll just put that up there. The person most, most ready for marriage is the person that actually ain't really looking for it, don't really need it. True love is unselfish. See, often what people call love isn't love, it's lust. And you know the definition, right? You might have heard me or Pastor E share it with you before. Lust is the desire to get at the expense of others in order to benefit self. Where love is the desire to give at the expense of self in order to benefit others. The world's apart. Therefore, Relationships, marriage, and fundamentally the big relationship we're going to talk about today, which isn't actually even marriage. The big relationship we're going to talk about today is our relationship with God. And we're going to see that there's going to be a need for robust faithfulness. Would you say that with me? Just say faithfulness. Faithfulness. Even though you know, as well as I do, that we don't have the ability to be faithful in ourselves. Right? We say that word. Faithfulness. See, we're going to see a, a need for a fierce commitment to faithfulness. So let's pray with that in mind. Father, thank you for your definition of love. The, 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 the four, four words in the Bible for love, Father, and one of them, probably the main one, at least in terms of what we're talking about, is agape. And it's that unconditional love. It's loving someone not because they deserve it. And Lord, there is no other example that comes close to your example to us of what that really means. I pray, Father, that you'd give us some more insight to that. Open our eyes to that. Today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in terms of our Bible overview, we're going to come back to this. 
um, we've traveled some distance talking about the kingdom of God or God's people in God's place under God's rule. Remember, it started with Adam and Eve in a garden. And I'm saying they only had one command, one word they needed to obey and they disobeyed that word just like all of us in this room would have done if we were Adam or we were Eve. You know what I'm saying? And, and then we see, we see the fall take place. But God put in a plan to restore man and women back to himself, mankind back into relationship with himself, right? And we see that through Noah and his family and then Abraham and his descendants. And then we got to Moses and God gave them the commandments. And now the people are called the Hebrews and they're moving closer towards that permanent place that God had determined for them, the promised land. And eventually, as we've seen over the past few weeks, they've now entered into the land. They've possessed the land under Joshua. They're living in the land. And now they want a king. God says, no, you don't. Um, yes, we do say the people are. God says, like, yeah, but I'm your king. They're like, no, we want a king that we can see. Here comes Saul, flops the whole thing. And then, I mean, the people get what they deserve. And then here comes David, God's recommended king, who's a picture of him, although David himself has his failings and he falls, doesn't he? And now we've arrived at that place where Israel, God's people are in the land and they also have the temple, which is the place where they meet with God, right? And <clears throat> we talked again about the kings. Now we're at this point called the prophets. And for the next four weeks, we're gonna look at the office of prophet under four major headings. It's a bit tricky, but may God help me, help us as we try to do this. Um, first of all, we're looking at the prophets, the minor prophets, um, hence where we are today in Hosea. Um, the prophets in terms of the major prophets, then the prophets in two other senses. Um, week three, we're going to look at the prophets who spoke to the children of Israel, or, or should I say, um, yeah, children of Israel slash Judah whilst they were in captivity. You know, king, you know the kingdom after Solomon gets split because of the, the mad drama and the, the unfaithfulness, talking about faithfulness, right? And, and the kingdom gets split. And, and um, from that point, you see kings in each one of those two new kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And also you see prophets that are sent to each one of those houses. And sometimes you've got to know which prophet is going to which house. You know what I'm saying? Whether he's going to the house of Israel or he's going to the house of Judah. And I'm saying, and then eventually what happens is Israel in the north goes into, into Assyrian captivity because of their sinfulness. And then God warns Judah and says, look at your sinful sister. You know what I'm saying? Um, how they ended up in captivity. If you're not careful, you're going to end up in the same place. And lo and behold, they didn't listen. So then Judah ends up in, in captivity and they end up in Babylon. That is what is called the exile. And so you have prophets who are speaking to the people before the exile but during the exile, and then you have prophets that speak to them after the exile, hence the post-exilic period, which is the fourth, fourth week we're going to look at. There are 17 prophets. Just look at that right, the far right-hand side of the screen. There are 17 prophets, 17 books, and they're split into two groups, major and minor. You probably heard that before. Let me just highlight. So minor and major prophets. And, and although there's nothing minor about them, like Pastor E said, two weeks ago, apart from their length, that's pretty much the simple distinction, you know what I'm saying? Some are greater in length than others, major in that sense over minor in terms of the material. And um, they're not less important or less inspired, but they are generally shorter than the five major 
prophets. Um, their messages are more succinct, but no less powerful. And the minor prophets covered a period of about 400 years through, like I said, the Assyrian, the Babylonian captivity, and even in the Persian Empire. Three prophets um, <clears throat> went to the northern kingdom, who were Jonah, Amos, and then our, our boy Hosea. And six prophets went to the southern kingdom, Obadiah, Joel, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. And three of them were post-exilic. You can see the line. You see the Babylonian exile, after that exile, and they come back into the land, kind of transitioning back. You have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So Pastor E talks about Haggai. Remember, that's why I said it's way down where we're not, where we're not at yet. In the Bible, these men <clears throat> who, who spoke on God's behalf were called seers or watchmen or men of God or messengers or servants of the Lord or prophets. Now, we want to say that prophecy is speaking forth God's word, right? But, it's, but we need to know that it's got two elements to that definition, two elements. So speaking forth God's word, that is the job of the prophet, right? And when he speaks forth God's word, that's a prophecy. Now, Often today, at least if you come from my kind of background, when you hear about prophecy, you really often only think about one thing. You know what I'm saying? And that is foretelling. Foretelling. That is someone predicting future events. I remember the context, the Christian context that I grew up in, it was such that every week you heard somebody predicting something that's going to happen in the future. And sometimes, often, you'd come hoping that the great man of God would come in and he'd point you out, because that happens often, point you out and tell you your future. You know what I mean? How many of you, can, how many of you have experienced that? You know what I mean? And um, <clears throat> forth telling, thinking that that is prophecy, right? But the, the, the other element of prophecy that is no less as important is forth telling which is, by definition, declaring and applying God's previously spoken words. It's not telling you something that you've not heard before, although that can take place. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like some people accuse us of not believing in stuff like prophecy, like foretelling. You know what I'm saying? But we do. We're not cessationists, for the record. You know what I mean? Um, but we are charismatic with a seatbelt. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, Pastor E? You know what I'm saying? And because and, 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 1 Thessalonians 5 says, don't despise prophecy. If we do that, then we're not, we're, not, we're not down with the Bible. It says, don't despise prophecy, but test or prove all things and hold fast to what? To that which is good. That means not everything that is prophecy is going to be good. You hold fast to that which is good. You let go of that which is bad. So we need to have... A, because... We need to be hearing, <clears throat> well, how do I say this? If we had more forth telling, right, that is hearing God's word, there'd be, there'd, there'd be a, a less need for foretelling. I heard someone say that, you know what, people want to hear a word because they don't know the word. You know what I'm saying? But the more familiar you are, familiar you are with the word, 
the less you need somebody to give you a word. You know what I'm saying? So we need to be hearing more about what God has already said in the past that was true, as opposed to hearing false predictions about the future that are new. You know what I'm saying? Now, again, got the seatbelt on, but we want to receive prophecy, but take time. Prove it. Test it. You know what I'm saying? And hold fast to that, which is good. Wilkinson and Boa <clears throat> says about this topic, he says, this demanded, this whole thing about prophecy, this demanded spiritual insight as well as foresight because they, that is the prophets, proclaim the consequences of specific attitudes and practices of their day. They dipped into the past for lessons and exhortations concerning the present and they spoke of the need of present reforms to avert future judgment. You know what I mean? And so, <clears throat> really and truly, whenever you hear someone preaching or speaking, you want to hear some kind of prophecy. That is, you want to hear them forth-telling God's word and applying it to your current circumstances and situation. That's prophecy as well as telling you the future, like Daniel. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and, and often, you see, the thing is, that's the, one of the reasons we we'll hold the whole Bible together as one story. See, the law of Moses creates the fundamental foundation for many of the prophetic messages that we hear in the Bible from the mouths of the prophets. They're always going back to what Moses said or back to what God said through Moses in the law. Right? Even We see even the New Testament um, apostles and prophets do exactly the same. And there's a consistent call from the prophets and based again on God's previously revealed word or his law. The prophetic message often had four major themes. This is like when you can tell like real good, healthy prophecy, foretelling and particularly forthtelling. First of all, it talks about the sinful practices of the people. Number two, there's a call back to the moral, civil and ceremonial law, particularly with regards to Old Testament prophets. Not so much now with the ceremonial law because we don't have to go back to circumcision literally, but we do spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Because there's continuity and there's discontinuity. Circumcision is in the Old Testament and we don't do it. But circumcision is in the New Testament and we do need to, we do need to have it done to us. But it's a spiritual as opposed to physical. <clears throat> and then there's this call with reference to coming judgment based on the sinful practices of the people. You know what I'm saying? But then there's also this reference somehow, somewhere about this coming Messiah, this coming Savior, the coming rescuer who ultimately would be the savior. So the question for us today is, how is Hosea, the prophet, <laughs> how's he gonna help God's people to understand this four-point message? Especially knowing that Israel at this point are in extreme rebellion. In Hosea chapter four, just to give you a snapshot, it says, hear the word of the Lord, says Hosea. You Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. God's people are in God's land, but look, they're not living under his rule. There is no faithfulness, as we said earlier. No love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only, there's, and this is the land that God gave them. There is only cursing, lying, and murder stealing and adultery. Now, can you hear the reference back to what? The Ten Commandments. Can you hear that? They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. 
Now, how's the Lord going to communicate with the people, his people, his wicked people? Hosea is a good man. He's faithful. He's upright. He fears God. His name means God is salvation. And it's very similar to Joshua, like Hosea, Hoshia. Very similar to Joshua or Yeshua. It means God is salvation. And God's like, Hosea, I want you to get married. He's like, for real? Like, Lord, like, marry her to who? The Lord's like her. And he's like, what? He's like, Goma. G- Goma. Lord, Goma is a... I, w- I ought to say whore. I want to say whole. God, Lord, Goma. Be like, Lord, everyone has had her. To the point where nobody wants her. Apart from when a man is in desperate need of quick gratification and he's on a linking thing. That's all she's good for. All she's good for is a beating in the sexual sense. Lord, no one is gonna no one's gonna wifey this woman. Do they still use that term? Is that an old term now, wifey? Is there a more modern nuance on? No one ain't. Wife material. Lord, Goma's not wife material, Lord. Like, I know that. Like, everybody knows that. How come you don't know? Lord? No one's going to want to marry this woman. She's only there to be used and abused. No one cares about Goma. God says to Hosea, whatever. Marry her. Imagine going to God for some marriage counseling. The Bible's deep, you know. But you see, this is for a purpose. And, and often, sometimes in our lives, how many of you know that the river sometimes don't run straight? Sometimes we get into circumstances or situations that we're like, surely this is not the way that it's supposed to be. Especially when, Lord, I'm your child. Like, what? Like, what on earth? Can I get an amen? amen. And I think so often people look into the church, look at Christianity, think about the Bible, and they get it twisted. Amen. You know what I mean? And without, without clarity, you can easily point the finger at God and say, rah, if you do exist, you're proper off-key. It's not a hard jump, is it? But this is for a purpose, because this is the way God is going to speak to his people through this prophet. And New Testament or Old Testament, those who live godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecution, difficulty. Paul says, it's through much tribulation we enter into the kingdom of God. Don't be, 
Don't be discouraged or dissuaded because you find yourself in difficult circumstances. That's not what you're going to hear from one of the modern day prophets. They're going to tell you the opposite. No wonder so many people are walking away from the faith. Because they got in and they got made this promise and the promise never manifested. If anything, it was the opposite. And people end up being disillusioned. In chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the southern kingdom, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Remember, the kingdom split, right? But it's the during the time of these kings. Verse 2, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. <clears throat> Why? Because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. This is God's people. And I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Rahamah, which has a meaning and it means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Interesting. As we think about what's going to happen later. Yet, verse 7, I will show love to Judah and I will save them. Not to bow, sword or battle or by horses and horsemen. But I, the Lord their God, will save them. Can you hear how the Lord's going to break them but he's going to mend them. He's going to beat them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But only for their discipline, for their benefit. Verse 8, after she had weaned lo Rahamah. Goma had another son. Now, remember, that's not loved, right? Verse 9, then the Lord said, call this new one, this next one, Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Wow, is it getting worse? You know what I'm saying? For you are not my people and I am not your God. Verse 10, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. It's like, wait a minute, is it one thing or is it the other? <laughs> <clears throat> in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. So then, <clears throat> that's chapter one. In chapter two, right? No great surprise. <clears throat> what does Goma end up doing to I nearly said Homer? What does Goma end up doing to Hosea? She leaves him. Be like, Lord, I took this woman in, you know. No one ever showed this woman no love, no compassion, no kindness. I took her in, you know what I'm saying? And for a moment, she hung around to the point where she could have some kids, and now she's gone again. Well, she's gone. 
she's gone. And, <clears throat> and it's crazy, isn't it? Because Goma leaves and she starts sleeping around again. She commits infidelity. She commits adultery. She's horribly unfaithful. Not once or twice, but multiple times. And not only that, is she unfaithful to her husband, she abandons her children. How does, how does Hosea feel? Apart from saying to the Lord, I told you so. And I'm, how, like, how does he feel? How do her children, Jezreel, Lo Rohama, Lo Ami, how do they, how do, how do her children feel as they look at her mum, as they look at their mother? And it could be said <clears throat> that the unfaithfulness of a spouse is one of, if not the most worst form of painful torture experienced by a human being. Close, if not second to, to that is the abandonment of a parent. And it's really painful and life-shattering when it's a father that leaves. Right? And we see the devastating results of that right? only too often. But what happens when it's a mother? Unbelievable pain and agony due to what? Due to unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness due to a twisted understanding of love. I mean, what is, what is Goma thinking? Is she thinking that she's going to find love and satisfaction? She, you know, sometimes, sometimes you never know what you've got till it's gone. You know what I mean? It's like she had it. When she never ever had had it before. Yet she abandons that. And, <clears throat> and this type of unfaithfulness, it's like it's pandemic. I remember, I remember having a chat with Jide once. And it's, I just felt so embarrassed. He was like, he was like Pastor Rob. He was like, man, um, we, just, we was talking about something and it come up that he'd been to Jamaica. And I was like, like Jide, you in Jamaica? I swear you're Nigerian. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and Nigerian people don't travel. They're probably the most well-traveled people. I went to Ireland, Southern Ireland, for a conference, expecting to see nothing but white people. And when I got there, there's all these black people. And guess where most of them come from? <laughs> Nigeria. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, Jida, you went to you went to Jamaica for real? He's like, yeah, I went to. I was like, like, what, like how? Why, why? He said, oh, he says, I think he said my brother got married or my sister got married. One of his siblings got married, and he went over there. I was like, oh, I said, what do you think about Jamaica? He's like, boy. He says, one of the main things I come away from is, he said, Jamaica, um, he says, I never knew they had a national sport. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, it used to be cricket, but it's football now. He said, no, it ain't. He said, it's adultery and fornication. <laughs> and it's funny, because like the World Cup, it's coming like every country is good at it or is involved in it, good at it. And, it, and, and, 
unfaithfulness. This twisted understanding of what it means to love. Everybody's looking for love. But what is it they're actually looking for? They're only looking to gratify themselves, often sexually, although that's not the only fundamental reason, right? And we see it all around us, don't we? I mean, it's so, it's so apparent. That's why I said it's pandemic. It's worse than an epidemic. You know what I mean? And the thing is, we see it all around us, and so did Hosea. Because there ain't, ain't nothing new under the sun. And although people are <clears throat> desperately affected by this sinful unfaithfulness, the question is, who is the real victim? See, when sin takes place, ultimately, God is the one most affected and we forget that. But don't forget that. I think, was it, was it David who reminds us in Psalm 51, Lord, against you have I... I mean, he'd sinned against Bathsheba, you know. The poor, the, I was going to say, the poor woman minding her own business. I mean, showering in public, probably, I don't know, like, why? So maybe she's, she has some blame, you know what I mean? But I'm like... And, and, and like I said, nothing new under the sun. That's, that, that was like ancient pornography. What's, what, what the heck is David doing looking over the balcony at naked women showering? As tempting as it is, fellas, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, not, it's, it's murder, isn't it? You walk down the street sometimes and, and you know, you're, like, you're like, did you see that? And like, see what? That woman that just went past. No? Well, you never saw her, like naked on horseback. You never saw her. I'm like, it's like you walk down the road, you have to have literally blinkers on as like ladies, ladies probably, ladies are thinking, what? What are you saying, Pastor Rob? I say it all the time. Like, fellas, you feeling me? Especially in the summertime. Raw. Like, Lord God, help us. I mean, I, I say, I, you probably heard me say it before. Three of the, the greatest men in the Bible. Samson, Solomon, and David. And all three of them fell sexually. And I know I'm not as strong as Samson. <laughs> I'm not as wise as Solomon. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not as godly as David. That's a warning to us, isn't it, fellas? May God, Lord, help us. But as much as Bathsheba had been sinned against, remember Joseph, how can I do this great evil and not sin against Potiphar's like Potiphar, like the woman's husband, that would have been, it, it, he would have been sinning against. But the fundamental point is, how can we do this evil and sin against God? Because he's the ultimate victim. See, when sin takes place, <clears throat> what happens when another young boy is stabbed to death? Two nights ago, I don't want I don't want to have to give these examples. You mentioned it past. I don't want to have to give these I don't want to have to give these examples. I want to talk about 20 years ago. Do you remember when? Two not even 48 hours ago. 17-year-old Abdi Muhammad. He ain't even got no facial hair. Can you see that? Murdered outside the Tesco on Southampton Way in Peckham. Pastor E, remember back in the day when we worked at St. Joseph Academy, they used to call Peckham, Peknam, like from Vietnam, because that's, that, that's how the war is going on. And it ain't changed. F 10, 15 years later, it's getting worse. A lie, my brother. The Guardian, 
said Peckham's stabbing is the sixth knife crime death in London in seven days. And that's just in London. In a week. How does God feel? I mean, you think about how his mom must feel. I mean, we know that we've been touched personally. His mom is Sarah here. You know what I mean? How does a mother feel? How about when amongst the 22 people killed in the Manchester terrorist attack, do you know that over half of them were what? They were children. They were children. And last night at London Bridge, six killed in this vehicle attack and stabbing incidents. We don't know how many. I don't know how many, if any of them were children, but Seven, oh, 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 seven people died, but we don't know. I, I suspect maybe there weren't, weren't any children because it was late at night. I'm not sure. But like, how does God feel? When I had a parents feel, when I had a friends and a family feel, you know, I'm doing a funeral this Tuesday for a three-month-old baby. Um, I've got a... You, can't, you may have heard me talk about Imani. Um, it's funny, I got, I got a real encouragement. Um, is it, I don't know if Josephine's here today. But I'm doing a funeral for, for Imani on Tuesday, having done the funeral for her mum a month ago. And the, the, the bit of encouragement I got a few weeks ago, as I mentioned it, as, and, and Josephine came up to me and said, Pastor Rob, like this baby, like, she, it's, it's not in looting. And, and we talked about it. She, she was, she, yeah, she, she is, but she but now was one of the nurses that was taking care of my cousin's baby when my cousin died. Because my cousin died um, just through some real um, unusual circumstances. She had, she had a headache for like six months. And um, basically, no one detected, you know, it, that it was a much more deeper and serious problem. And um, so she died, and it was probably negligence. And although you know the family are not blaming the hospital, it's just one of them sad things, isn't it? But she was pregnant when she died, and the baby Imani was born, and she was premature. But the family had a little kind of little hope, little something to hold on to. You know what I mean? And at, the, her, at Rochelle's funeral, we were all talking about, okay, boy, this is devastating. But at least we got the... And, and basically, Imani never survived and she died. And we got the funeral for her tomorrow, for her on Tuesday. And I'm telling you, like my cousin, at the funeral for his daughter, 27 years old, you know, devastated, like weak, like just uncontrolled, inconsolable for his daughter when she died. And, and a month later, we're going to bury their granddaughter. Um, pray for us. You know, for Tuesday, pray for me as I try to conduct this funeral. Um, you can imagine how the parents feel, grandparents, the parents who are also grandparents of these two girls. But my point is, how does God feel? How does God feel? Notice, as a supernatural parent, 
as, as, as God looks down, notice, as God looks down at parents weeping for their children, as a parent, how does God feel? Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 11? You know, often you want to know how God feels, what God is like, what God would say, look at Jesus. John chapter 11, Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus who's just died. And what does Jesus do? It says he wept. It doesn't say that he cried, you know. It said he wept. And a part of that is Jesus, better than anybody, understands how devastating death is. And not because he'd seen it, but because he himself was going to experience it. See, that's how God feels as a response to death, minute by minute, on a daily basis. And remember that death comes as a result of what? Sin. And you could, in Jesus, it's funny because if you read the text of John 11, Jesus is weeping. Now, you know when someone weeps, your like, tears are running, and your nose is running. It's like, but then Jesus switches in the moment in the text. And it seems like he gets very angry. And that's when he shouts out, Lazarus, come. And, he, and in that moment, he conquers that very thing that has caused the death that he weeps over. But then he conquers it by bringing Lazarus up from the grave, back from the dead. And you see that range of emotions. And Jesus is the ultimate picture of, of God the Father. He's, saying he gets, he's, he's weeping because of the death and the loss. But then at the same time, he's angry at death because of sin. And if anything, it makes Jesus more resolute to go to the cross. Because at, it's at the cross he ultimately overcomes and conquers death, hell, and the grave. Thankfully, God's response to sin and death isn't just an emotional one. Now watch what happens in our story. Hosea ministers <clears throat> to the northern kingdom, Israel, also known as Ephraim, not Pastor Ephraim, Ephraim, which is the largest tribe in the north, Israel, at a time when they're outwardly experiencing prosperity and growth, but inwardly there was moral corruption and spiritual adultery. Right, Goma, Hosea's unfaithful wife, is a picture of Israel, God's people, who are an adulterous spiritual whore. That's his wife. God, this is God. What you're seeing in Goma is what you're seeing, typically reflected, reflective of Israel as a nation. Can you see that? Who are unfaithful committing spiritual adultery. They're worshipping other gods. They're murdering, they're lying, they're stealing, there's drunkenness, there's unforgiveness and bitterness, there's murmuring, complaining, and backstabbing. This is God's people, by the way. And God is saying, Goma is a graphic picture of my unfaithful people. I've been good to you, and this is how you treat me. And it's funny because although, although God knew his people would be like this, you know, although God knew that his people would do him this way, he commits himself to them nonetheless. God married his people anyway. And the same is 
is no less true today, right, as God's people. Like, which one of us was adorable? Which one of us weren't like Goma? I got both hands in in terms of being just like Goma. And yet God came, God came looking for us. Not even stumbled across us, you know. Oh, oh, he's someone that really needs some help. No. God came, God came looking for us as we shook our fist at him. In commitment to our sinfulness, God came and he pursued us. Now that is love. Isn't it? I look at my wife sometimes and I think, boy, she got a bad deal. <laughs> Did you say amen? <laughs> you said snap. Amen, brother. I say amen to that. I hope she wouldn't say amen to that. But, um, but she'd be right if she did, if she agreed that she got a bad deal. And I'm saying, um, I, look at, I look at God and say, Regarding us as sinners, we say, Lord, you know what, Lord, you got a bad deal. Because we can be quick to point at our spouse and, you know what I'm saying, and I think some of us have probably less reason to point at our spouse and say, you're off key. Some of us have more reason to look at our spouse and point at them and say, you're off key. You know what I mean? But in the grand scheme of things, God's the one really I look, at, I, look at, I look at his kindness in view of my sinfulness. And I'm amazed that God would want, would want me. Say, Lord, you got a bad deal. And look where the deal got him. I just mentioned it. And I'm saying it ended up him having to go to the cross. But that's real love. You want to talk about faithfulness in the midst of being treated very, very unfaithfully? Talk about God's relationship with us. Talk about, talk about Hosea's relationship with Goma as a picture of God's relationship with his people. God's relationship with us. Like, talk about relational suffering. How much suffering do I put the Lord... Like before, I, well, when I got saved, I was well aware, at least at that point, prior, prior to that I wasn't, but when I got saved, I was like, whoa, I was like, raw, God, I never realized, one, how sinful I was, and two, I didn't realize how good and kind you are in view of my sinfulness, you see, and it, it's all displayed in the cross, Jesus, and someone says, God, God, how much do you love me? You know what I'm saying? And the, and, and the Bible says, Jesus said, Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross and said this much. That's how much God loves us in view of our sinfulness. And, <clears throat> and you'd think now that we, okay, we come to God in it. Like we don't act now like we used to. <laughs> like the past is the past. Like sometimes as Christians, you know, we can be worse than before we got saved. And poor Hosea, he brings this whore into his house, probably thinking, okay, she's bad, but surely things can only get better. (laughs) 
I just thought about when Tony Blair got into power. Was that the song that they played? Things can only get better. <laughs> I don't know if they, did they? I don't think they did, did they? Politics is never going to save the day, hey. Getting, coming up to a general election, hey. Politics is never, if you're thinking, yes, things can only get, boy. <laughs> Man says scratch that. See, things don't get better for Goma, they actually get worse. <clears throat> for, for Hosea, they get worse. Goma, after being taken in by this kind, considerate, loving, sacrificial, unselfish husband, which is this amazing picture of God, she goes back to her promiscuous lifestyle. And what an accurate and yet tragic dramatization of the unfaithfulness of God's people. Hosea was able to understand the pain and the grief that God experienced over the people of Israel due to what he experienced with his wife, Goma. And the next thing that we see is God is love, you know. We, I just explained that, right? But God is also just, right? So God then warns Israel about the consequences of their sinfulness and ultimately they don't listen um, and it leads to punishment of the very nations that Israel are running to for hope and help and love, and, f and fulfillment. The very same nations are the ones that draw the sword on them. It's like, it's like, it's like reaching for something that you hope is going to provide you with all that you need, but you realize you just grabbed onto barbed wire. Ultimately, leading to punishment of the very nations that Israel pursued hence the need for the prophet and I'm saying to come and tell them but they don't listen and it's funny the story doesn't end there what happens next is nothing less than amazing God tells Hosea like boy like Hosea how's things he's like Lord how's things that woman that you told me to marry sounds like Adam in the garden that woman that you told me to marry she's only gone and done what she does and the Lord's like same. And the Lord's like, guess what, Hosea? Hosea's like, what? The Lord's like, well, my people have done the same to me, Hosea. And what happens next is nothing less than amazing. God tells Hosea to go and get your wife. Go and get her. Go and get her from where? She's probably in some man's house, in some man's bed. Go and get her. <sighs> And he does. And you see this picture of Hosea going to get his wife, his unfaithful wife, and he brings her back home. And it's a beautiful picture of what God will do with his people. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That could be me, that could be you in the arms of Jesus. And you can see how she's got her head down. How she's, she's like, what, how is she feeling at this point? Time doesn't permit. There's a, there's a, there's a book. If, if, if this interests you or grabs your heart to any degree, there's a wonderful book called Redeeming Love by Francis, Francine Rivers. I think some of the ladies read through it at one point. It's a beautiful, you talk about love story. It's, is that Sister Judith? 
It's fantastic. You know what I'm saying? And it tells the story of, of Hosea and Goma, but in a novel, in, 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 as a novel. And it's, it's, so it, that's an encouraging read. And it's a story of love that won't let go. I'm sure, like, ladies, that's the kind of man you want, isn't it? You want, you want, you want, a, you want, a, you want, a, you want a man that's, that's, and the thing is, he don't exist. Um, <laughs> did, lady, I, I just took you there, innit, ladies? I just, I just lifted you up, unlike him, and just dropped you on the floor, right? But, yeah, like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a, the what? The God man, all right. You see, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a husband, right, with a wife, but I'm also a father with a daughter. And I'd only be giving you half the truth, ladies, if I didn't warn you about the dangers of relationships and the pitfalls that exist thereof. And I, mean, I don't mean to smash your, the, the beautiful, wonderful fantasy. I have to bring you down to reality. I, like, I have to smash it, and it says... <coughs> And it's helpful for the men as well because it's telling, them the man, it's telling the men what you're like and what you're inclined to do and be like. Us men. There's only one, there's, ladies, there's only one man that ain't going to break your heart. Come on now. Only one man. His name is Jesus. He's the only one that ain't going to never let you down. Never going to abandon you. He's never looking at next woman when you've got your, eye, when you've got your back turned. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can always trust him completely and unequivocally. Amen. That deserves a round of applause for the Lord Jesus. You know what I mean? And, and, and he's the man that we as men need to look to as the example of that. Faith. And not just the example, but the power to enable us to be faithful to our women, and as we pray as dads for our daughters and their husbands, and for you young ladies who are in here, oh, Lord, help us. Hosea chapter 2, let's finish. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23 says, God says, I will plant, listen to this, I will plant her for myself in a land, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and, I will, and, and they will say, you are my God. He, uh, Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 says, For I desire mercy, says the Lord, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. See, that's, that talks deeply about relationship. Real relationship. Not presents and, you know what I'm saying, sweet nothings. Real love and commitment. That's based on something solid. In Hosea chapter 14... Verse 1 to 4 says, God says, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take what, you want to tweet something? That's deserving of a tweet. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. That's thanksgiving and praise. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses we will never again say our gods that is to what our own hands have made. For if you, the, the fatherless, 
For in you the fatherless find compassion. Verse 4, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. Wow. See, and the application is the book of Hosea assures us of God's unconditional love for his people. But it's also a picture of how God is dishonored and angered by the actions of his children. And how can a child who is given an abundance of love, mercy, and grace, treat a father which, with so much disrespect. Yet we've done just that for centuries. See, this is the storyline of the Bible. Yet God's pursuing consistent love. The book of Hosea is a description of an adulterous wife and a faithful husband, symbolic of the unfaithfulness of God's people and God's fair judgment and then his eventual restoration. As we <clears throat> consider how the Israelites turned their back on God, um, we need to look no further than the mirror in front of us to see a reflection of those same Israelites. And we thank God for the coming of Jesus in spite of our sinfulness. I'm going to invite the, the, the praise team to come and join me as I pray. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 8 verse 7 says sow the wind reap the whirlwind Father we recognize that our sins have devastating consequences Lord in this life but ultimately more so in the next and yet <clears throat> we're grateful that as we've been looking at the story of the Bible that you set a plan in motion right from the beginning that was going to mean you were going to save people in spite of their sinfulness. And that, that whole story points to no other than one man. And that's the Lord Jesus. Who actually is God the Son. The Son of God. But God the Son manifested in the flesh. Who came in order to take away our sins. And that on the cross. Father thank you for this incredible picture. Very very painful for Hosea. Very painful. And Lord I pray for my brothers or my sisters, Lord, who may be going through just a difficult time where a spouse has been unfaithful, Lord. Lord, we recognize the sinfulness of humanity. And Lord, you will judge that. And people who have, who have sown the wind will reap the whirlwind. That means, Lord, we sow, we reap what we sow, but we get back more than what we sowed. And that principle is, works positively, but it also works negatively. Lord, I pray for those who, Lord, have gone astray. And rather than drink water from their own well, have gone to broken cisterns that don't provide no water. In that they've gone to, they've breached their marriage covenant, Lord. And, um, and in so doing, Lord, um, they've also reneged on their commitment to you because it was to you fundamentally that they made their marriage vows. Lord, I pray that those who have gone astray would repent and return to you, their first love, and then return to their spouse. And Father, I pray for those who are hurting right now for that reason, Lord. Some maybe just recently, some for years, maybe even for decades, who have had a partner leave, a partner renege on that commitment, Lord who has been unfaithful and left, and let's, let, Lord, left someone in pain and agony. 
And Lord, only you know the depths of that pain. And as much as, Lord, you are a reflection of the opposite of that, we thank you that also, Lord, you are the one who can bring healing to that context, to that broken heart, to that broken relationship. Um, and we ask that you would do that only in a way that, in a way that only you can. Um, and Lord, I pray that you'd preserve marriages, Lord. Help, help us to see as married people, Lord, just the dangerous disaster. Lord, the repercussions that being unfaithful in a, in a marriage relationship can bring. And Lord, I pray that you'd also, Lord, this would be a really, really sober warning for those that are single. Lord, who may or may not even be contemplating marriage. And Father, that they would enter into it, Lord, not looking for love, but looking to love. And Father, that would place them on much more solid ground as they enter into a marriage. Um, Father, we're, we're grateful for the book of Hosea and all that it speaks to us, particularly in terms of the relationship that we get to have with you, although we break it so often. Thank you for your faithfulness in spite of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.